is narcissism nature or nurture? We're so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive in your relationship. Guys, welcome to The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert, a Beyond Enough production. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. And he's definitely an expert. You've been working to help couples with their extreme challenges for like 15 years, right? Yeah, a long time. And I'm glad that I'm here with you guys sharing your vulnerable story. And I hope that it helps our listeners as well. Absolutely. And if you need some help getting started, we have a free resource over at beyond-enough.com forward slash step one. And that's one, the number. It provides the first key steps to healing your relationship, regardless of how tough things are right now. All right, guys, let's roll. Super fascinating question. And we're going to jump into that as soon as we read this review. If you haven't yet, jump over to iTunes, leave us a review and uh, and write us. We'd love to hear from you. And it might be, it just might be your review that we read on the next episode. So this, episode, or this review is called uh, Boundaries Magnified. It says, I can't thank you enough for your years of service to all of us in this journey of addiction and betrayal. I've learned so much from you. The quote from Brandon, healthy boundaries ruin bad relationships, was a mind blower for me today. I had to share it with the rest of my people. I share your podcast with as many people as I can. Thank you for inspiring me to receive specialized therapy and introducing me to EMDR. It is changing my life as a once betrayed woman. I am currently seeing one of Brandon's coworkers, Taylor, for therapy, and the combination of therapy, mindfulness, meditation, your podcast, etc., is changing my life for the better. Thank you for helping me see past my husband's recovery and focus on my own. Thank you for helping me see that this is a lifelong journey to better myself versus a quote-unquote fix and move on. I have learned how to be compassionate towards my addicted spouse and with myself as we navigate this time or navigate this at times rocky as we navigate this at times a rocky road. I have hope and am seeing major changes in my life as a direct result of your wisdom and experience. Thank you with a big heart. That's brilliant. Good luck. So glad that you shared that and glad that you're getting all the different modalities of help that, that are available. Well, and can I just point out something we talked about in group today? I love that she's listening and getting educated and feeling that hope and power to go and do the work. So yeah. as a reminder, this is not the work. <laughs> this is part of the work, but it is, there's more to it. And EMDR, um, ART, which is what we're doing now is life changing when we have those things we can't get past with just something like this. So yeah. good work. Yeah. I love when, you know, she kind of illustrated how, you know, she put it all in context when I'm day in and day out meeting with people and it's like, Hey, change, change, change. They're like, okay. And then they keep kind of doing what they're doing a little bit. But when she's going to group, when she's listening to our podcast, she's, she's got all these good inputs going on in her life. What do you know? Good things are happening. So Speaking of good things happening, um, I got my good buddy, Tony, here today. And uh, Tony, we have become friends just through uh, podcasting. I think this is the third episode we've done together. So I've been yeah. on his podcast. You, you've been on my other podcast, Therapy Brothers. And and now here you are on, on the big podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted Expert. You get to meet the celebrities, Toby and Ash. I, I, was, I was giddy, right? I mean, you oh, saw yes. that at the beginning. Please. Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, no, they told they told me I look thirty five years old. I love these guys. For you actually, the rest of you my actually, life. you really do. do. It's amazing. <laughs> Legit. Um, for those watching, yeah. go right. five, blow five your mind. zero. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Um, all right, so a little bit about Tony, just so you know who we're talking to and, and why he's legit. Um, so he's a marriage and family therapist. He's a certified mindful habit coach. Uh, he's the host of The Virtual Couch, an award-winning podcast. Um, he's also an author. So um, he has a book called He's a Porn Addict, Now What? Um, and, and it's an expert and former addict answer a bunch of questions. So it's him and another guy that answer a bunch of questions about recovery. Um, I could go on and on. He runs a successful private practice. Uh, he was he was he started out as a computer programmer and then realized he wanted more fulfillment in his life and has become just an exceptional asset for the recovery community. Um, and so he's an entrepreneur. He's a therapist. He's he's the man. So, um, anything you want to add, Tony? No, the the introductions are so awkward, right? I mean, but yet. <laughs> But yet in the same breath, I'm like, um, he didn't mention uh, that my, you know, <laughs> that's okay. We'll, pl- we'll plug everything. It. We'll plug everything at the end. I do have yes. a free parent, a parenting course at TonyOverbay.com. I have a free parenting course. And I, I really do enjoy that. That one's free. And I have an online uh, recovery program. Tony, um, what don't you have? I do not have hair, which I think is why I don't look like I'm 50 years old. I think that's the key. <laughs> That is super funny. That is super funny. Okay. Tony, this is a really interesting, um, like story. And, and I'm really curious. You went from being in the, in in the tech world. Yeah. Traveling the globe, racking up all of your miles flying everywhere. And, and you're like, okay, this isn't for me. So I'm going to be a therapist, but how did you, how did you get into this arena specifically with narcissism? Oh, okay. That is, yeah, that's really interesting. That's, that's pretty, it's not super niche, but it's like to, to specialize in that, to be an expert in that is like pretty remarkable. I think. Yeah. It wasn't, the, it out? wasn't the goal. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't the goal going in and don't you love too, Kobe, you mentioned that you, you uh high tech background as well. Right. Don't you love that Brandon immediately thinks we're all computer programmers. I was just, in, <laughs> right. I was, I was just in sales and marketing, but you know, I did oh, interact. Okay. I did interact <laughs> with computer programmers, but no, I'm just kidding, Brandon. Um, I love that. So I always wanted to be a therapist. That was one of those things in college where I thought that that would have been a great career. And I look back on this and it's, it's just fascinating the way uh, everything falls into place. I had one person mention to me once that, you know, if you get a degree in psychology, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. You can maybe teach. And I know that sounds silly now, but 18, 19 year old me heard that and thought, oh, well, I don't want that. So then I got a degree in mass communications um, emphasis in public relate. You did too? Oh my gosh, okay. exactly the same. Isn't that funny? Me. All right. Hey, look at what you're going to look like in a few years. <laughs> oh, if I could only be that thin, I would welcome 50. Okay. Yeah. I love this guy. <laughs> so, so then I do the, I do the software thing and it was one of those classic therapist lines where I felt like I got more out of just interacting with people. And I felt like I could just have people, people come and open up to me. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed traveling with uh, people from my company and we would just just talk about life and that sort of thing. And I also, this is an odd one too, from the time I was young, I really wanted to be a good dad and I wanted to be a good, want to be a good husband and father. So I had that going on in one sense, even in high school, I thought, man, I can't wait to be, I'm going to be the, the world's greatest dad. So I'm trying to be a good dad and husband. I'm in this career that I wasn't really passionate about. And so at one point I just thought, 
I wanted to write a, I had a humor column I was writing in a newspaper out here for about a decade as well. And so I started writing these chapters about being a first time dad and I wanted to publish a book. And again, I have these moments where I think that, oh, this makes sense, where I thought I didn't have any letters behind my name. I wasn't a famous actor or anything. So no one would read a book about being a dad for me. And so I thought I'll go back and get my master's in counseling. So when I was in my early 30s, it makes perfect sense, right, Asha? So um, I go back and I get my master's in counseling. And I honestly didn't realize halfway through that I was going to actually have to sit and see clients. I thought I could just do the book work. And so then all of a sudden I'm in this practicum site and it was was with actually the the Child Abuse Prevention Council of a local county here. And so I'm, I'm playing Jenga and board games and with kids, but I'm also realizing, man, I just want to shake these dads that I'm interacting with. And so then the more I I started seeing clients, I thought, okay, I could do this part-time. And so I got the master's and I started working part-time for um, the the church. And so I was just, I was going to be a part-time therapist for the rest of my life and just see 10 clients a week. It was sometimes weekly, sometimes every other week. And then the more I started doing that, the more I started realizing, oh, this, this is what I like to do. And so we're in close to to the, the guiding down this path of how I started working with narcissists. So then as, I don't know if it was just as a male therapist or what that was, but I was basically handed a uh, faith crisis and I was handed um, pornography addiction. So I didn't plan on working in either of those areas as well. Um, the bit that I always talk about is in grad school, I was, when they would say, why do you want to go back to school or be a therapist? I would say, oh, I want to help husbands become, I want to help guys become better husbands and fathers. And, and, I, and the joke that I always say is that people in class, primarily uh, females in grad school, would all go, oh, you know, how amazing. And then the teachers, I feel like would kind of chuckle. And I didn't realize at the time it was because guys didn't come to therapy. So, you know, I, so then when I get into practice or when I'm now working as an intern, then I'm being sent these guys that didn't necessarily want to be there. And they were coming in there for basically faith crisis and pornography addiction. So I'm working with the pornography addiction piece and I'm, I can do the behavioral stuff and you know, uh, have a, here's a hymn and, or have a thought, sing a hymn or do some pushups or go run outside. And I realized that that isn't quite, it isn't quite working. And so I had had this moment where I thought, I I kind of identified that I felt like that turning to pornography as a coping mechanism really sprung from these, what I called voids. And I, and I identified five of them and I felt like um, I wanted to help people become a better, better husband. Um, I wanted them to, uh, to be better, uh, better father. So get their parenting skills in line. Um, I felt like a lot of times guys weren't dialed into their faith. Uh, they didn't have the career they wanted, and then they weren't really in a place, uh, health, their health wasn't in line. So then I thought, okay, I can't just, just say these things. I got to do something about it. So sometimes we wouldn't even talk about the pornography part, but we would talk about trying to address these voids. So I went out and I snagged the, what I felt like is an evidence-based model in each one of these. So I grabbed the nurtured heart when it came to parenting and EFT, emotionally focused therapy, when it came to couples. And then these, uh, for people's faith journeys, it was fowler stages of faith. And for their careers, I really dove deep into acceptance and commitment therapy and and learned how people were basically acting on values that really weren't their own. You know, they were going off of somebody else's values. And and so, and then their health, I've I've always been an avid runner. And that was one of those things where I just, I didn't realize at that time, what was I running from? You know, but it was this way to cope. So I went and tried to address all those voids. So we're getting close, Kobe. So now I've got these couples in my office, excuse me. And I never anticipated being a big couples therapist. Before I had this evidence-based modality, um, couples therapy was kind of not very fun. It was a lot of reflective listening and, you know, 
right? Tell me, I love that Brandon's nodding his head, right? When you come out of grad school, you're just taught to reflectively listen. <clears throat> is that what you heard? Is that what you heard? And then you kind of step back and go, well, I hope this works, you know? And, <laughs> and so then, uh, and so I'd get one or two a week and I thought, man, this is, this is exhausting. But once I had that EFT model, this framework, which was all based on attachment theory and we want to be heard and we want somebody to love us and care about us and know that we can go to them with our hopes and dreams and that they're going to know what to do with that. Once I really dialed that in, then all of a sudden I, I enjoyed couples therapy and I found myself going from you know five couples a week to 10 couples a week to 15 couples a week. And now on any given week, I'm probably seeing a good 15 to 20 couples. So there's the good news. And then EFT can help people live happily ever after and it addresses addiction and betrayal and all those wonderful things that, that I know that you guys know so well. But then there was always just at any given time, I've got a group of, let's say there's 20 couples a week, five, six of them, that things just aren't landing right. You know, somebody's being emotionally vulnerable. They're opening up and they're being, uh, they're sharing their, their truths, their hopes and dreams. And instead of their partner saying, my goodness, thank you so much for sharing. You know, this is, this is amazing. And, and I, I, will, I will treasure this information. You would see the person start to say, well, well, that's ridiculous, you know, or, well, why are you saying that? Or do you know what this does to me? Or, you know, and that sort of thing, or even in situations where, and I'm going to overgeneralize, but where it felt like in the session, things landed well, then people would come back later. And all of a sudden that, that information that this person had opened up and shared had then been weaponized or used against the person that had really opened up and, and shared this, this vulnerable information. That's, and that's what kind of led, oh, that's oh go ahead. hard. That, that sounds just so to weaponize emotions like that. It's so hard because it's, and, and you know, and I could think of so many examples where if somebody really said that, Hey, I feel like you belittle me in front of the kids. Let's just say it's the wife saying this. And, and then if, uh, you know, if the guy immediately wants to jump in and say, well, oh yeah, well you, you know, I can, I can EFT framework this thing and say, all right, Hey, you know, where she's putting out an emotional bid and your job is to say, tell me more and, and to really try to understand from an empathetic place where she's coming from. And you can almost just watch, you know, sometimes somebody sit there and, you know, they're holding their tongue and they just want to just jump out and, and say, yeah, but, you know, jump in there with those yeah, buts. And so then here they've said, all right, you know, this is what it means for me to be a mom. And when you say these things, then I feel like, you know, you're, uh, you're demeaning me or that sort of thing. So then, you know, come back a, a week later and it's happened again. And I feel like that's one of these things where now when the person is angry or they fight, let's say in this situation, you know, the, the person with narcissistic tendencies or narcissistic personality disorder, when they now fight, they're fighting with that playbook. And so that's one of the hardest yeah. things about trying to do this EFT, emotionally focused therapy, is that, you know, you often say you don't really do that with a personality disorder because you're handing them your playbook. You're saying, mm. here's my vulnerability. And, you know, again, in a, in a healthy relationship, person receives that and they say, thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm honored that you'll share that with me. I never meant to make you feel, uh, you know, belittled or uh, less than. So of course, I'm never going to do that again, where oftentimes with the personality disorder, the person can say in that room in the session, thank you so much. But then, man, then they go use it when things get heated and, and things get, you know, really kind of uh, amped up, if that makes sense. Tony, do you see, um, as you're talking about this, we, we've done an episode on this, but do you see somebody who's really struggling with their sex addiction um, really have narcissistic tendencies? And then when they get into recovery more, those go away versus somebody with narcissistic personality disorder who, who just has, has it. 
Absolutely. And I love, I did listen to that episode that you guys did. And I even jotted down a couple of notes and Brian, you had talked about actual self-awareness or ownership of action. And, uh, and I love how you said, and this was so good, that twinge of humility, because yeah. I feel like when somebody has a narcissistic personality disorder or you know, strong narcissistic tendencies, they're missing that humility piece. And so yeah. it really is this, no, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done this if you would have, you know, uh, whatever, been more intimate with me, um, if you would have paid more attention to me. So it's never their fault. I mean, they can't own that. And that big piece of EFT yeah. is, is right, being able to take ownership and accountability of their actions. Well, that, that's right. super interesting because I'm pretty sure I did exactly that over mm -hmm. the years with Ashlyn. And so is it a common thing to have um, this is obviously a question for both of you, but is it a common thing for the betrayed partner to um, feel like that their partner has narcissistic personality disorder? I think, I think so. And especially from a place where if you really look at the way addiction works is that it's a, I'll never do that again. You know, I, this is the last time. And so I feel like oftentimes they, they have such a pattern of, um, I'm going to double down on this lie and I'm going to go to my grave with it because this is the last time. And if I can put this one behind me from this day forward, then, then, then we will never have to talk about this again. I will be good. I will be present. I'll be the world's greatest dad, you know? And so that one feels like narcissism when in reality, I feel like that one can be a big component of just, I'm afraid and I'm not about to be honest because if I'm honest, I don't know what that's going to look like. I might get yelled at. I might get, you know, uh, my wife might leave me. Um, I might get publicly shamed and humiliated and who knows? I don't know. Brandon, do you, do you agree? Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, Kobe, you're a good example of um, somebody who acted like a total narcissist. Um, and, and think about why. The reason why is because you had so much shame. Um, you were just so totally. defensive that you were turning the tables and you were gaslighting and manipulating Ashlyn and pushing her away in all those ways. Um, but you had so much shame because you had so much trauma and addiction behind it. Um, you've, you've addressed the trauma and the addiction. And what do you know, you know, what Tony was just talking about, this twinge of humility, you show yeah. up with a mm -hmm. lot of humility now and, and self-reflection. And you, I, there's no way in the world I would diagnose you with narcissistic personality disorder um, as opposed to somebody who, who cannot get to that place of, of humility and self-reflection. Okay. So let me just, let me just clarify what you said though, because what, what you guys are saying is, is the difference between the guy who's in denial, right. And who is really struggling to say, okay, this is, this is my truth. And this is what I've done. And I accept that. And I own it. That guy versus the narcissist, you're saying um, the person who's not the narcissist will eventually have the humility to own what they've done to take responsibility is that what you're, is that is that the where the where the fork in the road comes i mean i i think that's a really good way to put it and i'll give you an example i'll try to make it you know a little bit generic but let's say that i have someone that has uh, opened up about they've been i mean they've been caught they've had an affair and now they're going to be completely open and honest and you've met with their spouse and then their spouse says, yeah, I need you to be completely honest with me from this day forward. And then they get contacted by the affair partner, you know, and they reach out and they say, 
um, man, I know that I'm supposed to let her know, but I just, I don't want to hurt her anymore. So what do you think? You know, and that one's one where I feel like a uh, narcissist is going to basically, they're not even, there's no twinge of humility there. They're saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to tell her, you know, yeah. th this is, uh, this is ridiculous. I've already opened up about this. I've already, you know, I, I, I'm the buck stops here. And I feel like the person that is really owning this is saying, I don't want to hurt her, but I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, that one as a therapist, it's like, okay, well, what do you feel like is the right thing? And they're going to land the plane on their own. They're going to say, um, and I've had this recently, they're going to say, man, I need to tell her and it's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm going to have to sit with that. I'm going to have to sit with that primary emotion of shame or fear or, or that sort of thing. And then it's, and it's going to pass, but that, and that is going to be um, where we're going to work from this day forward. Not any more of the, I'm just not doing it or that gaslighting. I, th I think Tony, as you as you tell your story about these couples doing EFT, I, I really mm -hmm. appreciate it because it's, it's interesting what you're saying. Cause what you're saying is, look, we're bringing the best tools to the table for couples work and no matter what, it's not working. And I think what that illustrates is that narcissism is, uh, it's, it's a hard thing to, um, pinpoint and in, in a lot of ways, because we, a lot of people think of a narcissist as a pompous jerk who's, yeah. who's always right and knows they're no, 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 no. A, a that, it, that could be a narcissist, but a narcissist is, is different than that. They're squirrely. Um, that, you know, a narcissist Kobe might say, oh my gosh, I am so sorry that I hurt you and this and that, but, but it's, it's their intention and it's their agenda behind it that really determines whether it's narcissistic behavior or not. There, that, that ener when we talk about humility, we're talking about the energy of being a humble, self-reflective person, not the show. And a narcissist will mm. put on a show to look good, no matter what they have to do to look good. Is that right, Tony? Oh, so much. And I actually got, right before we came on, I got permission to tell a story from my wife because I feel like this one, and maybe this is my own wanting to say, I promise I'm not a narcissist, <laughs> but I feel like one of the things that, that it, it's almost hard to put your finger on is this concept where in the room, maybe the, the, the guy will then hear of a vulnerability from his wife. And then he will say, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. Again, I'll never do that again. And we'll all in the room go, oh my gosh, that was a good moment. What a like good this couple guy. is going to get it. And then, and then, and I always say until he does it again. And so the <laughs> example I give is, and, and that, and right. And it seems so, but this is that thing where as you sit with 20 couples a week, 15 of them, the guy's never going to do it again. Five of them, he keeps doing it again and again. And he's like, I know, I know my bad. I just got, I got upset or, well, this time this person did this. And, you know, it's always that kind of, not me, it was them. And so the story I got permission to tell is my, uh, my wife um, used to, anytime she'd go to the dentist, uh, she'd have a couple of cavities. And I thought this was the funniest joke. I would say, uh, especially applicable for when we're recording this, I said that her teeth were made of candy corn. Now that is a funny <laughs> joke. Right. And I would say it in front of people or whatever. It's appropriate for this time of year. <laughs> right. But then at one point, and she said, uh, we were talking, I think we were honestly talking about EFT principles when I was really starting to learn them. And I, and she's like, Hey, well, let me give you an example. When you say my teeth are made of candy corn. Yeah. It gives you a couple of yucks, but you know, here's my experience that goes mm. back to childhood or teenager. And I don't like my teeth and I'm not happy about them. And that, and I, and I was devastated and I just thought, Oh my gosh, I mean, it, it still kind of makes me sad right now to say, I am so sorry. I, I'm, I wish I wish I would have known. I wish you would have felt safe enough to tell me. I wish I would have brought it up. And so until this moment, I have never 
talked about that again. But I feel like that's one of those where I have had examples in my office where somebody will say something. Uh, you know, I can think of this one couple right now where the wife said something similar about her hair. And then the guy was like, okay, I'll never do it. And then two weeks later, you know, they're back in. And she's like, he, he did the hair joke again. And he's like, yeah, but uh, it was different people. They were, they, they, yeah, they're, they don't care. They, they don't, they think it's funny, you know? And so it's that thing where it's the, I feel like that's the sincerity versus the, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Yep. So hey, go ahead, Ashton. I'm hearing this, you know, as the betrayed and thinking, okay, I'm going to weaponize all of this information <laughs> and I'm going to say, awesome. I I've seen my spouse show up in those examples. So I can mm. now say he's a narcissist when, right? Like uh, it's probably yeah. not, or it could be just characteristics or I even hear, um, can, can this show up in someone who's had an affair, who hasn't been labeled or diagnosed with sex addiction, you know, who may have checked out already because you said sex addiction and said, well, that's not yeah. me. So I'm out. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, and it's interesting that I love that you said that too, Ashlyn, because we get into lots of things, we get into confirmation bias, kind of what we yes. want to see. Yes. And right. That one's so big. And then, um, even so, there, man, my train of thoughts going a million miles an hour. There's, there's this, there's this concept where, um, do we want to kind of tackle the, is it nature or nurture? Would that maybe be a good oh, yeah. time right now? Yeah. Oh yeah. The topic. Okay. <laughs> but no, because we were just this, interested. I this, yeah. Well, I think this one might be a good way to introduce that concept because there's still some debate about that nature versus nurture. And I mean, I feel that it is, it is both. And I had it explained to me once. And I thought, I think of this often is that every, every child is self-centered. That's the way we are when we are, there's, that's just the way it works. And so then when, with every child, when they have uh, good role models or boundaries or, you know, emotional support, they move from self-centered to self-confident. And so if you look at the narcissist, typically narcissist or the borderline personality disorder, any of those uh, cluster B personality disorders, when they, when they didn't have that support, and it can be from emotional trauma, it can be verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. It can even be from well-meaning, you know, parents who were off serving, you know, that we're, we're not there, not present, raised by other kids, whatever it is, is that that kid may not have made that move from self-centered to self-confident. So now you've basically got that 10 year old boy kind of now as an adult. And I feel like, you know, in one sense that can sound like a, a humorous bit, but when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, I know that that is not very fun, but it's the same thing where somebody can get very angry and, and just gaslight and say mean things. And five minutes later, I always say it's the, Hey, you want to go ride bikes? I mean, it's still kind of that same 10 year old boy thing. It's like, we're good. Right. You know, um, are we, you want to go out to dinner and where then the spouse has maybe just been emotionally uh, depleted from being gaslit or trying to make some uh, point or connection and it doesn't go very well. So I feel like that's one of those things that is, if you talk about that nature nurture, and that um, looking at it is, is this a 10 year old boy who never takes ownership for anything they do? Or is this someone that really has been, I don't know, triggered, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you know, are they, are they just acting impulsively? Um, do they typically take ownership over a lot of the things that they do? Or is this just a moment where they're, you know, acting? I like to say to my wife often that, oh, here's a narcissistic dusting or here are my narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be aware of that, man, I am not being very um, empathetic right now. So I don't know if that kind of addresses well, that. So a little Tony, bit. just to kind of cut to the chain, yeah. would you say it's more nurture? I mean, I, I think so. I do. Cause I feel like if you really look at the, even the line down, 
is that if someone was raised by narcissistic parents or, or emotionally unavailable parents or, um, you know, parents off the war, parents that are doing whatever it is, now that person has that modeled behavior of not having that support as a kid. So they're almost doing the thing where forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, they're, they're going forth and they don't even know how to connect or they don't even know how to have that empathetic connection. And I have to tell you, I was doing an episode a couple of weeks ago on my podcast about accountability. And, and I was, I was referencing some article and I, I had a moment while I was recording the episode where the example was, if you are a parent and you forget to pick up your kid and you come to the high school late and your kid's the only one outside. And then, you know, you're, let's say that she comes in your car and she's just angry. I cannot believe that you forgot me, you know, that you, you didn't pick me up on time. And if your immediate response is, Hey, you do not talk to me that way. You know, you mm -hmm. don't, you don't raise mm -hmm. your voice like that. You just modeled, I'm not going to own my own stuff. I'm going to tell you that your behavior is not okay. And I'm, and I refuse to, to take accountability. So there's so many ways I feel like that this is modeled. So if you already don't even know how to take ownership of your own actions, because it was never modeled uh, for you as a kid, then, you know, do you even know? And, and I put in that episode and Brandon, I don't know if you see this in your practice, but where, when I'm doing parenting, where people will often say, man, if I, if I say I'm sorry to my kid, or if I say I'm wrong, they're going to run right over me, you know, and they go into that cognitive uh, right. distortion, all or nothing behavior in their mind, where in reality, I want in that scenario, I want to say to my kid, if I show up, man, my bad, I totally forgot, you know, I spaced right. it. I'm so sorry, I'm late. Right. And, you know, and that's going to do more for modeling that um, ownership or accountability than, than, you know, than anything. So yep. I do, I know that's a long way to answer, but I feel like it but I think more, more it, nature. it's probably relatable. More nurture, more I, have, nurture, more nurture. I have that experience yeah. as a child and as a parent. So it's, I think it's very mm. relatable. Well, Ashlyn, that's why you're a narcissist. No, I'm exactly. just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No. no, my mom can tell you me. what. I would never <laughs> joke like that with favorite. Ashlyn because she's so not a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I like what I, I love. Yeah. I liked what you said about like brushing off. Here's my narcissistic tendencies oh. or something, because I think that's human, right? I mean, I'm sitting here in my head going, oh, I showed up in that, like, this is how I did that recently. And I don't like that feel. And so I need to take yeah. ownership for that. And that on taking ownership is so big. And I feel like, um, you know, there, I did a whole episode on gaslighting a second one. I did the first one I ever did on gaslighting and it was the er, gaslighting. And then I, my wife tells me one day, I forget what we were doing, but I was explaining something to her. And she said, I think you're gaslighting me. And I, and I said, I, I, uh, and I was like, I, okay, technically I am. Um, but this is coming from a good place. And I felt like that was so empowering. I had to go find the data to back it up. And it was this, okay, but I really just wanted you to understand. But, but I think the key there was, I appreciated her bringing it up and I had to own it. I mean, I had to yeah. take ownership of that. And I think that's so significant um, of that, yeah. just kind of that taking ownership. Yeah. So Tony, most narcissists are, are, are male. Um, mm. Most, most people who struggle with borderline personality disorder are female. And it's just really fascinating to me that there are, there are narcissistic females and there's borderline males. Yeah. There is such a thing. Um, I think it's like 90% though. It goes yeah. you know, nar male narcissist borderline. Then they're very different. Borderline is different than narcissism. Um, yeah. But in my experience, and I just want to throw this out there, um, uh, the borderline personality disorders that I've worked with or the narcissistic personality disorder, there's usually some pretty significant, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma that, that we get to 
um, when, mm. when I work with them, when I start to dig down there and, and a lot of times they're guarded and don't want to go there and they, they don't, they don't want to show any of that vulnerability. Um, but they make a lot of sense. It's like, Oh, yeah. that's why the borderline's there. Oh, that's why the narcissism that's, that's why the extreme lack of attachment or attachment issues in your life. Um, because mm. I can see it, I get it. And so I would agree with you that it, it is more nurture. I, I don't know. I, I, I like to believe in that most people are good. They're just yeah. good at, at their core when we're born. And then bad things happen to us and we defend and we, we learn how to cope in these ways. And some of those ways just don't help us in our lives. They don't help us in our relationships. So I would agree that it's more nurture. I'd love to see the, the research on yeah. you know, trauma and narcissism or trauma and borderline would be really fascinating to see. Well, can I, can I jump in here with something there too? And I, I love that you shared it that way. Um, this is going to sound like just a plug, but I really am passionate about, I think I'd share with you off the air, Brandon, I've got a marriage course I'm going to unveil in January. And I've got these, and it's based around the EFT principles, but I've got these, I mean, I call them four pillars of a, of a connected conversation, but I feel like they are so um, pivotal. And the first one is assuming good intentions. And, and it's the, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, how can I hurt my partner? And I feel like that even addresses things like narcissism or borderline yeah. to the key of where if somebody wakes up and they really are just irate and angry, or they're withdrawn or they're whatever that is, that even that comes from a place of that's the only way they feel in that, at that moment of how to be heard or how to get attention. And I talk about that with people often where, you know, they'll say, okay, because I, again, I believe these, these four pillars that, that, uh, that I've built, they are, it isn't a, some of them work, some of them don't. I mean, it's, it's that you have to assume good intentions. The second one is you cannot put forth the uh, message of your wrong. You know, if somebody says, Hey, I'm angry because I feel like you, uh, you, well, actually, let me give you a really simplistic one that is, is kind of mind blowing, but it's, if somebody says, Hey, you're yelling at me, you know, and if they, if the person that is being accused of yelling has gone and I'm if they've gone to you know uh, no yelling school if they've had a no yelling coach if they've got a decibel meter right behind them but if their spouse says you're yelling at me for them to say no I'm not I mean it's not like the spouse is going to say oh okay my bad I thought you were <laughs> you know and so it's like assuming good intentions if the person says you're yelling at me I have to look at that like they did not wake up this morning and think I know how I'll get my partner I will tell them they're yelling at me so it's like I can say tell me more what are you hearing you know. And then once they feel heard, then I come back around and, and give them the, man, I am so sorry that you're feeling or that, that I'm like, I'm yelling at you. That would be hard because I, I've got this no yelling coach and this decibel meter shows. But again, if that is your experience, I hear you, you know, and the third one I talk about is you got to ask questions before you make your comments. I feel like too often people wanted to say, let me just tell you that you're wrong. And then I'm willing to hear you out, you know, and it's like, once we do that, you've already put that person on the defense. And now, you know, now we're back in our bunkers and we're hurling insults and whoever can get the best one, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I, so I really feel like I love that, Brandon, that you're saying that I feel the same way. I feel like people are inherently good. And if they're showing up, whether it's with their narcissistic personality disorder, their borderline, and that is really difficult in a relationship. I'm not dismissing that, but it comes from their childhood wounds, trauma, not feeling heard and having no real way to feel heard or feel a connection. Yeah. So is this, it sounds like, thank you for that, both of you. Um, and I just have a couple other questions on it. So it sounds like that, that, um, that traumas, weighty, big traumas in life are some of the, the primary catalysts to narcissistic behavioral 
um, no, what did you call it? Narcissistic personality disorder and oh, borderline yeah, yeah. personality disorder. Am I, did yeah. I understand that correctly? That, that oftentimes people yeah. with those diagnoses have significant traumas. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and if there were, if there was another or a couple of other indicators of, um, of narcissistic personality disorder, what else would they be? Uh, it sounds like that based on what you said that the, uh, that taking responsibility for fault or owning like fault is just not something that, that they, that, that was modeled or that was taught or that was embraced. Is that yeah. also, is that also true? Yeah. And that's a great, and that's actually a good segue for um, kind of nerd out a little bit. So uh, there's, there's two kind of types of ego states. And so there's a uh, ego syntonic and there's ego dystonic. And I only remember these from studying for the licensing exam was, you know, um, ego dystonic. I just remember there's a D in there. It means those are things that you don't want. So like an ego dystonic state is um, people who have obsessive compulsive personality disorder or, or no, just OCD or anxiety or depression or ADHD, they're aware of things that they don't want. So they can kind of step outside of their, their own ego and say, I don't, man, I don't like that, you know? And so personality disorders come from this ego syntonic uh, sense of self. And what that means is it's, it's a state where one is kind of, um, they're consistent with their one self concept. And so it, so if somebody, it's difficult to heal an ego syntonic personality because they don't feel like they're doing anything wrong. And I think that's one of the hardest things about personality disorders is they, that's why they, you know, they can just gaslight so reflexively and fluidly because they're really, it, you know, it's like, no, you guys don't understand. It is not my fault. I mean, if this, if this person wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have had to react this way. Or if this person would have said this, or I only said this because you said that. And so it really just, it, it's, they're, they're in their ego. And so I often talk about, you know, you have to be able to step outside of your ego to be able to say, man, I am doing that, or that probably is not good. And then you have to even be able to be aware that you're stepping outside your ego. It's kind of meta, as the kids say. I don't know, Brandon, am I talking yeah, out of the- I, I actually love what you just said, because it, it, it really does kind of differentiate between addiction and narcissism. Is And, and, and it's why, hmm. maybe I love what you just said, because it, it validates me so much, working with narcissists for years and years and years, you know, it, it's like a lot of therapists will run the other way. Like, ah, yeah. yeah. you know, it's so difficult that they're impenetrable. They're, they're difficult to, mm -hmm. to help them move out of the suffering that they're creating in their own life because they think they got it all figured out. They think they're smarter yeah. than you that, you know, they, they say about a narcissist, um, you're doing good therapy with a narcissist if the narcissist hates you, right? Yeah, right. You know, because yeah. you're going after it. You're trying to to get in there and get them to see and and get them and reflecting back things and motivational interviewing and all this stuff to try to get them to see it and not buying their stuff. And mm. um, but an addict, um, a lot of times is manipulative and defensive and all these things but they are in some pain. And so they're looking at it and saying, something's yeah. not working here, right? Um, I see where you're going. Is, I like that, is, yeah. Which is different than narcissism. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Siri thought I said so, something. Yes. So, Brandon, repeat that last, repeat the last two sentences that you just... Well, so Tony's big ego words, which I should know, but I don't. Um, e ego... Mm -hmm. sent. 
Say it again. I'm cheating off of a, I'm cheating off of my little document. Here. It's, e- it's ego syntonic and ego dystonic. Ego syntonic is like it's it's core to your sense of self. So it's like you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong. You you're not stepping outside of your ego. And ego dystonic is the D is like I don't want that. You know, OCD or anxiety or depression. So, I would say an addict yeah. can be both, and I would say a narcissist isn't. Uh, right, right. And, and a narcissist only yeah only uh, ego syntonic because they really don't feel like they are doing anything that steps outside of their sense of self. Which, okay, which means so, they, they yeah. come into a couple session there and they're like, look, I'm not the problem. They are like fix them. Totally the problem because I'm pretty which, sure that was me. But it was also me for years and years. I mean, how many years did I just say, go fix it? This is all your fault. So it's confusing. Um, how would a narcissist go to therapy then? How, like, how are you so, guys even finding these people? So that's a great, great question. And I, man, I feel like uh, I've never really talked about this part of it. So can I take a step at it based on what you guys said earlier? Is it, is it an effort to look like the dutiful good husband who was Mm -hmm. going to support their partner and do the things? And if, you know, if, if an ecclesiastical leader is involved, it's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do because I want to look, I want to look good in, in the eyes of everybody else involved. That that I feel like we were playing uh, narcissist family feud. That would be the number one answer. And I say that <laughs> ding, ding, like, ding, uh, ding. Yeah, but it, but and, and so then if you went back to the second one, I think might be that it's also that hey, I can get in here and just the let's I'll, I'll let the therapist know that really it's her. I mean, I'll I'll help him understand because okay. yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've I've I got this Here's thing figured truth. out. Let me okay. let Here's me educate the, the therapist on why you know she needs to change so that we can be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the part where going back to the 20 couples a week, five or six of them and how they present it. It's, I mean, and I hate to sound narcissistic. Uh, my favorite joke too, is when I'll tell my wife that, uh, Oh, this is my narcissistic tendency is I'll say, that's like a three on a scale to 10. And she immediately always goes with a, or a seven, you know, um, <laughs> that's so I love her to death. Just, uh, just hit, just hit her 30th year uh, of anniversary. So like, I, I will listen to her. I will trust her, but there's some pretty wild things that I think that, and I'm going to kind of go just, uh, Tell me if these things even make sense. There's things that you start to notice that I never would have noticed had I not worked with a, tr- a number, a large number of people with narcissistic tendencies. And one of them that I noticed, that, and this one wasn't until a few years ago, was the kind of uh, validating or empathizing oftentimes with the narcissist because I don't believe that they often understand. Yeah, I sound like I'm being, you know, see where I'm going with this rant? So that I totally I get it. Be, that, it's like Tony agrees with me. Like I'll hear that one often oh. where it's like, if I'm saying, if the person's saying to me, no, I've tried and she doesn't get it. And you know, I'm this amazing person. And I've told her that she just needs to shape up and she used to be better before she kind of had this awakening. And, you know, and I've, and, and it's like, if I'm just saying, man, I hear you. And that sounds hard. And I can imagine that would be really hard and difficult. And they hear that like, okay, Tony's Tony gets it. You know, that he's, it's, he's, I must be right. And so they'll often go to their partner and then say, you know, man, Tony totally yep. agrees with me. Yep. They'll, I mean, they'll he, use he thinks your that empathy and that energy as totally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. And that one. So it's funny what I had to do pretty early on was if somebody then now let's just say that again, the husband's typically um, one suffering with the narcissistic tendencies. And then if they come in and, and then the wife then says, Hey, can I talk with you? And they come in and tell me that, Hey, uh, I, my husband said that actually everything that you've been talking about in here is wrong and that he is right. And that you're just being nice to me. You know, then I, I oh, I have to be yes. very calm. Use all my yes. mindfulness oh, skills. That's happened and to then many I, times. 
right? And then I'll usually say, hey, well, here's what we'll do. I'm being absolutely authentic. So when he, when we're all together again, then we'll bring it up and I'll make sure that we clarify that. And in the future, mm -hmm. I would love for any time that you feel like there's this discrepancy, just shoot a group text over to me and you will be surprised oh. how often that you don't get the group text. And, and I even, man, I even jotted some of these things down. Some of the stuff that is wild that I didn't see until I had worked with it a handful of times is that, you know, they call it, it's almost like joining or so uh, examples where somebody says, uh, you know, I was talking with all my friends and man, they were telling me that they think that you shouldn't have handled that that way either. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, I was, I mean, are, right. Do you know this from Brandon? Mm -hmm. Or I was talking with my doctor and I was laying out the symptoms to my doctor and she thought that you should probably get on some anti-anxiety medications as well. You know, when the person sitting in the office going, wait, you, you talk to your friends about this or me or, right. and it's like, no. And that's where the same concept where I'll say, I would, if I can, I love to say, Hey, let's get them all on the phone right now. Let's, let's, let's hash this out. I mean, you know, and then usually the guy's like, no, no, no. I mean, we, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to bother them. And I feel like that's that, you know, uh, they're, kind of, they're, they're getting, building the case right? that they're right. Yeah. Building the case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm listening to this and feeling a lot of hopelessness now, what? <laughs> uh, oh, and Brandon goes for a drink right then. I thought you should answer that one. Right. I got it. Um, yeah, I got answers. Okay. Well, I will tell you, and I feel like this is something that I've really worked hard on is your man, Ashlyn, you're so right where I feel like people will Google this and it will often just say run away. And, and I, you know, I don't, Brandon's had the same experience where as a therapist, you want to meet the person where they're at. And so I often, I mean, typically get people coming in that they're saying, man, I, I especially when I do an episode on narcissism or gaslighting or uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder or these sort of things where they'll hear this and they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm worried that my husband may be a narcissist. And so even then, usually the first response I get is I want to make it work. Like I want to just figure out what do I have to do? And so I, I have kind of these five things that I talk about often where if somebody comes in, I say, all right, I want you to learn to raise your emotional baseline. That's uh, something I, I developed about a decade ago, but it's, it's basically self-care. So you have to put yourself in a spot that you are in a good place to be able to do um, I always say number two is get your PhD in gaslighting, you know, just to understand that, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not crazy. You know, I really do know what color uh, blue is, even though, you know, my husband has told me that I, the sky is purple, you know, or that sort of thing. And then the next one is I always say, learn, then learn boundaries, you know, hey, if you yell or call me this, I am going to, I'm going to leave, you know, or I've got somebody right now that they're saying, I will, I will hang up because I, I have to set that boundary. And the fourth one is then learning to disengage from unproductive conversations, <clears throat> excuse me. And I feel like, and then the, the big, the fifth one that I talk about, and it's even hard to just throw out there is to realize that there's really not anything that you'll do or say that will cause that aha moment or that epiphany where now they'll get it. And I'm not saying that from a, all hope is lost, but I feel like that's what drives people crazy is constantly trying to say, okay, if I do it this way, or maybe if I, maybe if I approach it right now, or maybe if I say it's really kind, or maybe if I get angry, maybe if I withdraw, maybe if I, you know, that now he'll understand. And I feel like when I can help people, I know, Brandon. Well, if you're, you if say? you're in a relationship with a narcissist, then you need to rewind um, back and, mm -hmm. and listen to what Tony just said, because you nailed it. And, and one, mm -hmm. one, there, there's, there's kind of an element of acceptance in what you said. It's, it's realizing, and this might sound a little hopeless. So, so hang in. I know, with right. You. But it's realizing yeah. that you can't get them not to act narcissistic. You can't, you know, you, you can kick and scream and complain and all these things. You can't get them to do that. So, so it's better for you instead of, instead of trying to change them, trying to force them to be different, 
it's better for you to take a step back, realize what it is, educate yourself about it, have healthy boundaries, have healthy self-care, learn how, and and also Tony, I do want to say, don't rule out run the other way. Um, Yeah, no, you're, yeah. You know, if, if, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist for long enough and he's emotionally abusing you for years and years and years, your boundaries might lead you to run the other way. Um, yeah. That's not the only answer. You can stay married to a narcissist. You can figure out how to be happy in a relationship with a narcissist, but it's going to take some acceptance on your part. Acceptance of well, what you're in a relationship with. Go ahead. Yeah, I think you nailed it. No, and that was because uh, what I what I often say is, is I'm kind of wanting to meet that person where they're at, especially when they come in. If they say, I do want to stay and there's too much invested or that sort of thing, then I, I always say, okay, I want to be the person to meet you where you're at because you've probably Googled and read that it's whatever, <laughs> hopeless. And so, but I feel like if you get those five things down, again, raising your baseline, PhD in gaslighting, uh, boundaries, um, disengage from productive conversations, and then that realize that again, there's not anything you'll say or do that will cause that aha moment or epiphany, then oftentimes people come when they have those five skills, I think down, they either feel like, okay, I, I can kind of function. And uh, there's a, a wonderful expert I've had on my podcast to talk about this name, Christine Hammond, who says, in essence, you can train your narcissist. I know that sounds, uh, I don't know, maybe it sounds a little funky to hear, but, or I feel like when people get those five things in order, oftentimes they think, okay, is this the relationship I want? Because now I realize I'm not my best self and I'm not, you know, I'm not my best uh, person to my kids or in my career or to my, you know, and is that really what I signed up to do or to be? And so oftentimes when you, you know, when you work on those things that I kind of mentioned, it's what does that look like at the end of that journey? And it can take, it can take time too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, Tony. I think we're kind of running low on time, aren't we? Yep. Mm. Um, it's been awesome though. Yeah. I feel like we're scratching the surface. So, Hey, can I read, can I do one more quote? That's one of my favorites though. Sure. Yes, please. So I pulled, I have this in one of a a podcast and I couldn't remember exactly which one, but I I was able to find the quote. It just talks about narcissists can be extremely good at sniffing out, trusting vulnerable people who tend to see the good in others. Thus they can be very difficult Mm -hmm. for nice people to spot until the offender has wreaked tremendous and undeniable havoc. Um, Relatedly, because people, and this is the part I think is so powerful Relatedly, because people tend to view others as subscribing to a generally accepted moral code, such as that lying or harming others is wrong, even an otherwise savvy person can work hard to find the good reason why someone is acting off, rather than identifying problem personalities and behaviors for what they are. And then when we have feelings of anger or distrust or fear about what we, quote, know about a loved one, that will cause great distress, which we know in the business is cognitive dissonance. And as a result, most of us wind up resolving cognitive dissonance by reinterpreting facts that feel at odds with what we need and want to believe about someone. And the reason I love that one is because it, it you know, it, bless their hearts, but narcissists tend to find the, the nice people. There's a book called Human Magnet Syndrome that talks about pathological narcissism and pathological kindness and how they become magnets and they're mm-hmm. hard to separate. And, and so I feel like oftentimes, the because I work with so many different um, people that are in relationships with or trying to get out of relationships with narcissists and they are nice people. And so they're doing all they can to find the good reasons why somebody is acting off rather than going back to the tried and true. It's like, no, this is a problem personality. It's not yeah. me, you know, yeah. I, and, and so it's just those nice people. And I have to tell you, um, this is one where, and, and it's so close that I have a online community group forum that I, I want anybody listening to this to reach out to me through my website. And it is for women who are in relationships with 
uh, narcissistic men or that have been through there. And I, this is a passion project of mine. And I really want to help people have a, a safe place to talk because narcissists isolate. I mean, they do, they, they sequester, they isolate. And so a lot of times people that are reaching out to me, honestly, I've got so many emails. I mean, I've got 70 something pages of a Google document, single space of gaslighting examples that people have sent me. And I have people that will send me an email and then say, please don't respond, you know? And so I just, I do have a, a, a place where I, I can point people to that. I think they can at least um, have a place to talk and communicate. So and how do they find that, that Tony? So go to, go to tonyoverbay.com and send me an email through the contact at tonyoverbay.com. I'll be the only one that'll get that. And, and it really, if, if you're interested in kind of being put uh, in touch with a, kind of a group that is for women that are in narcissistic trauma or have been through there or have questions about it. And, uh, and I really feel like, and I, and it's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, anonymous forum that, um, is that I'm, that I'm overseeing that I just, this is a passion project of mine. Awesome. It really is. Awesome. Yeah. Tony, appreciate your work and your effort. You, you've, you've shared some really great insights and, uh, the conversation's been super intriguing. So appreciate you joining us. And um, no, a, I'm so glad to get to talk to you guys. I, I want to do this again. Yeah, yeah, we'll have you back. I think we, I think we for sure will. Yeah. So, guys, if you if you heard anything today that resonated with you, that you know uh, maybe a friend is dealing with, this would be a fantastic episode to share. So please do that. Maybe don't send this to your spouse if you are thinking they are this. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, Ashlyn, that's but that's a, even before I know we're signing off. But I mean, that is one of the things where people often, and Brand, I know you get this too, where people say, "Hey, so when do I tell them they're the narcissist?" It's like <laughs> never. I mean, it doesn't goes over never never goes well yeah so that's yeah. that's a great I'm, okay anyway back to you okay. no, I, 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 that's that's very well said <laughs> that's very well said <laughs> so guys appreciate you being a part of this and joining us today and we will see you again on the next episode awesome thanks, see you. thanks guys thank you